Okay, it's now time for Encounter with God. Um, so yes, it's Minnie and Sven today. Keep things interesting. And we have another clue for our quiz. I think no one's got it yet. Brilliant. Oh, I'm going to take another yes before you go. No. Oh, better, no. better or worse? Uh, getting better there. Getting better there. So okay. it's a number, remember? Yes. Uh, so the number of times Elijah called fire down from heaven to burn up soldiers. So there was there was a number of times where soldiers came to him. Yeah. And uh, they were they were to bring him back to the king Ahab, and uh, he called fire down from heaven to burn them up. So how many times did he do it? There's a number. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> this is kind of different, isn't it? You know, it? I actually cool. love Old Testament stories. I mean, because they're hectic. Because really, like... They're pretty gory sometimes. Yeah, all the things you... All the clues. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's actually quite intense. It is. And I, I remember, you know, as a kid, I think particularly Old Testament stories were good because there's a lot more detail, like, in the storytelling. But I am so convinced that they never told us the full story because it was only as I got to an adult that I was like, oh... There is some very gory stuff in the Bible, you know, like even David and Goliath, they missed the part where David cuts the head off. I don't remember that part. Yes, yes. There's a there's an interesting kind of news article or feature article, I should say, um, in the church magazine record, mm-hmm. uh, looking at whether we, sh- you know, we kind of Disneyfy the Bible. Oh. Where, where we, we sort of take the Cinderella story or the you mm-hmm. know, Snow White or whatever, and, and we take out all of the, the nasty little bits and uh, we, we leave all of the sort of romantic kind of yeah. you know, fairy tale castle kind of, and, and that's what you're saying. Do you, know? you uh, do you have a personal opinion about that? Do you think we should put in the details or leave them out? Well, I guess I mean some details you do need to take out, you know, for kids because obviously it's a bit too too much detail, too much yeah. information, as you, yeah. as you'd say. Uh, and I guess it's coming down to kind of levels. But uh, yeah, looking in terms of, I, I think it, it's it's worthwhile to to recognise that that faith is a journey. Yeah. That that when we when we walk with God, when we walk with Jesus, uh, the Old Testament recognises that it's not always easy. It's not always the fact that that we do it fantastically well, mm. um, and and sometimes cultural elements come into play, yeah. sort of like chopping off heads and. You know, calling fire down on heaven and all that kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff. But, well, James and John wanted to call fire down they from heaven. They wanted to, yeah. So, yeah. So. And I, I kind of wonder too, so there's my own little personal opinion here, um, but how much of it is in the way we tell the stories as well, you know? Sure. Because I remember when I was, I mean, I wasn't a young, young kid, but I would have been like, oh. Grade five or six, which is what is that like 10, 11 years old? We'll say something, like something around there. And um, I remember reading these books, they were called Jesus Freaks. And I think it was kind of, I might be a bit wrong, but you know, Fox's Book of Martyrs? Yes. Um, I think it's more like a more modern way of telling those stories. So, because Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's written in a kind of older style. More like a sort of um, Pilgrim's Progress kind of King yeah. James version or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, like the language, like mm. you can read it, but it's not like simple, whereas these books were written quite just simple English. And yeah, I would have been like this 10, maybe 10, 11-year-old kid who was reading these books and some of them were horrific stories. Probably did traumatise me a bit too, you know, some of them. But also I remember distinctly that gave me like this desire to be like, man, I want to have that faith. Yes. And I remember even as a teenager where I was like, I, I personally really struggled with church. Like I didn't love it. I often, you know, had big roller coaster with Jesus. So if I'm, you know, I'm out, I'm all the things, you know, and, but I remember still um, 
that in the moments where I was like, nah, that's, that's not my thing. You know, it's just the church thing isn't my thing. Those stories are like, yeah, but, but this personal walk with Jesus. And I still want to be like that because I guess I had that as a picture of the faith you could have. Does that make sense? Mm. Like, and, mm. and so, yeah, sometimes I've been like, mm, should my parents have let me read some of those books? On the other hand, I'm like, yeah, but man, that gave me a foundation of like what faith in God can be. It doesn't it, have to be, but you know. Yeah, and I guess that's the reality. Even I mean, it's not just in the Old Testament; it's in the no. New Testament as well. Yeah. Um, in you know, we we sometimes think, well, we get baptized, we we come out of the water, and we're you know, it's all going to be you know, easy, bed of roses, whatever. Uh, but but the story of Jesus, uh, the life of Jesus, the life of Paul as well, the life of Peter. Yeah. Uh, demonstrates that that we can face some tough times. You know, Paul was shipwrecked. He he, uh, he was he was stoned. <laughs> he was beaten. Yeah. You know, and and yet that that resilience, that that mm. faith was really really incredible. And um, because you know, as the Bible says, Hebrews uh, says, you know, there's a reward mm. uh, for us. You know, that the God is waiting to to give us. So so hang in there. Absolutely. Uh, you know, even through the tough times, uh, whether it's caused by you or someone else, uh, God will get you through. Yeah, 100%. Mm. All right, we better uh, move on with the Bible study or start it at least. <laughs> so I believe we are looking at worship and education. This is our, what, 20 million movement Bible study. People all around the world are kind of reading the same thing at the same time. So this morning you can read it here with us. So we're going to look at John chapter 4. Um, we're looking at worshipping in spirit and in truth. This is a story that some of you guys may know. I, I like this story. Um, and what you see here is Jesus really taking this woman on a, a journey of learning more about um, God and what worship really is. Yeah. Um, so it's an educational journey as our Bible study is all about. Absolutely. And I think mm. it is important because we, we can talk you know how there's kind of, what's, what do people say? Christianese. We can talk about, oh, you know, we need to worship God. But you're like, what, is, what does that really mean? Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to get you to read John 4, verse 7. Where are we going? 7 to, well, it's to 26. So we can either break it up or, look, let's just start reading. And let's if, give it a and go. And if you want to pause somewhere, if I want to pause somewhere, we'll just jump in. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, so John chapter 4, yes. um, starting at verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan? A woman from Samaria, I should say. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I'm just going to pause for a second there. Just mm. for some I think my well some people may know this story. I know this story quite well and still when I read it I'm like I just imagine if I was talking to Jesus I'd be like what are you talking about man? Mm. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like cuz from the start he's onto something that she's not talking about and then she's like what are you, what? He's like I'll give you water. She's like but you don't have anything. You asked me to give you a drink. 
And I just think it's an interesting way that Jesus often interacted with people. And it, it really sort of sparks her curiosity. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we, we're here talking about physical water, you know, H2O. It's the bottom of the well. Mm-hmm. We're trying to figure out how to get down there and, and um, draw some up because, you know, you've got the, uh, the, the rope and the, the yep. jar and I don't sort yep. of thing. And, and he just sort of takes it to another level, says, I'm going to give you – I could give you living water. Uh-huh. And she's going like, what is that all about? <laughs> So we forget about the well, we forget about the, you know, it's, it's just onto bigger things. It's really, really incredible. Absolutely. But I like what you said, yeah, he kind of engages this curiosity of just like, whoa, yes. what? So I'll let you keep reading. So verse 15. 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And this is the point uh, where where suddenly she brings in this this concept of, of worship. And I think it's really interesting here because... You know, Jesus has a number of surprises for for her. So first of all, he goes from physical water H two O to living water. Uh-huh. So she's he's going she's going like, well, what is that all about? And then when she says, I want that, you know, I want that surprise. I want that uh, thing that you have to offer me. He then sort of surprises her again and says, uh, Go call your your husband. She goes, What's that all about? Uh huh. Uh huh. I know. And he really gives her things to kind of make her stop a bit. Like he's mm. not nice and clear. I think that's a really interesting trait. Often, you know, Jesus was a teacher. Like he was referred to, oh yes, teacher. He has this very interesting style that if we look at what we typically think when we say education, we know education is well outside of school or church or conferences or all these things. But often when you say the word education, or when someone says that to me, those are the places I go, right? That oh yeah, someone is up the front talking teaching. about things. Yeah. But his method of teaching is actually in some ways, very, very different to what we do. It's very personal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, he was really talking to her heart. Yes. Uh, so, you know, in this passage here, he doesn't say anything about the kingdom of God. Mm. You know, he doesn't say anything about, you know, the, the poor in spirit, at least, you know, uh, not initially. You know, he's going straight to water. He's going straight to, you know, uh, go call your husband. And I guess one question that comes to mind is this, is was he trying to embarrass her by saying, call your husband and come here? Mm, Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. So he already knew because we, we find out he knew what the situation was. Uh, but she had to answer him and say, I have no husband. You know, is he trying to shame her because she doesn't have that, that you know, social status? Hmm. Um, it, was that his motive? And I, I actually think that he's starting to get her to think, okay, well, this is more than, um, this living water is not just for me, it's for Ooh. other people around me as well. Yeah, I see what you're saying, yeah. So, so, so he, he's getting her to think bigger. Um, but, you know, of course, if, if he had said to her, well, go and call your de facto, you know, partner, um, you know, at that time, that would have been a lot of shame. Instead, he just says, go call your husband, which is a very 
socially appropriate thing to say. Mm. Um, so he's kind of, he, he's leading her into the fact that he knows about her life, but he's doing it in a very, you know, gracious way. Mm-hmm. But he's also saying, hey, there's other people that need to have this living water as well. I really like that. I don't know if I've heard it explained quite that way. Because I, like, I probably more read it and been like, oh, is it, is he being culturally appropriate? You know, she's already, she's already made the point, ooh, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, we don't talk to each other. Was there also this thing of he shouldn't have been talking to her if she was married? Yeah, because he was a man, Yeah, yeah. you know, single, yep. you know, uh, sitting there at the well. Yeah. Why would he be talking to, to this woman? Yeah. Is yeah. it cultural appropriate? So, yeah, so it's really interesting. No, but I, I do I do like the point, though, of what you're saying because it's, yeah, it's a very gracious way of actually a very direct question. Like he – do you know how sometimes – I don't know if you've experienced that we um, – we don't want to hurt people's feelings or kind of invade their personal space too much, which I think sometimes is a very good thing. You know, <laughs> like some people maybe don't have that much tact to do that. Um, but sometimes what it can look like is that we don't really ask what we're asking at all. Do you know what I mean? Like we'll, we'll ask things, but really ask around it rather than be like, hey. Beating around the bush. We should talk about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. We, we should talk about this thing, but I don't really want to talk about it. And you know what I'm referring to, but I don't really want to say it. And sometimes... I remember someone explained to me, they were like, we, we actually train people to not have to be honest with us or themselves. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. sometimes we need to call people on something, not in a mean way, not in a bad way. Just be like, Hey, what's the situation here? Well, in many ways she actually beats around the bush Yeah, because yeah. you know, she, um, she says to him, look, you know, I've, um, well, well, Jesus says you, you've had five husbands and the, the, the guy that you're now with is not your husband. Mm. Um, and we could read into it. I guess you could say that, you know, he, he's effectively just using her. A bit like those relationships you were talking with David before. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, he, he doesn't want to get married to her uh, because she's a social outcast. He's effectively just using her for, you know, um, marital kind of relationships. Mm. And, and yet what she does is she kind of completely diverts. She beats around the bush mm. at this point. She says, Ooh, I see that you're a prophet because you know so much. Um, but let's move on to the topic of worship. Yeah. And I, I think that's what often happens in our, um, in our faith situations, in terms of our faith communities, in, ter- in terms of our church communities. We often divert to the worship issue, particularly with regards Ooh. to music. Okay, yep. Keep you going. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We, we start to really get hung up on the style and all those kind of things. And uh, we, we say, well, you know, should it be contemporary or, you know, hymns or, you know, drums or whatever. And, and Jesus keeps her on track. Mm-hmm. And he, he says, you know, it's, it's not about the mountain that you're worshipping on. It's not about the, the church building that you're worshipping at all. It's not about the, you know, the... The, the music style, even though some styles may, may be more conducive to worship, I'm not you know, arguing against that. But he, he comes back and says, you know, the whole thing about worship, it's about connecting with God. Mm. Do you want to read those verses? I think I stopped you before we got to the end. Yeah, sure. Verse so, 21 to 26. Yeah, so this is where Jesus actually responds to, to her. Mm. And he says this. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, trust me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and it's now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
for the Father is seeking such people to worship. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And that's what I think we all need to understand. Worship is about um, spirit mm. and, and truth as well. And I think it's, it's interesting the way Jesus follows along, because like, as you said, you know, she's kind of beating around the bush a bit. But when she gets to this point, he goes, let's talk about this. Mm. All right, let's talk about worship because this is important. Mm. And he he kind of allows her to go on that journey as well. Do you know what I mean? Like he yes. has his own tactics. But when she's trying to be like, oh, nope, <laughs> let's gap it. Let's not talk about that. He's like, okay, like, you know, okay, let's let's go with your, your yes, direction. Go with the flow. Like, yeah. <laughs> but I guess that the interesting thing is this. Why... Why did he pick up spirit and truth mm. in terms of worship? Why, why those two things? Why not, yeah. why not music and finan- finances, you know, donations? Mm-hmm. Why, why not, you know, uh, the preaching style or whatever? And I think it's really, really important. And that's what we need to understand. That's part of education, yeah. which is worship fundamentally – is based on two two things. Mm-hmm. This is what Jesus is saying here: spirit and truth. And I think in you know some of the examples you just gave of all the different options that could have been chosen, is all those things kind of manifest from that place of either spirit or truth or both? Do you know what I mean? Like you can have, oh I don't know, you can have the be- I'll use music as an example because I was talking to a friend about this. You can have the best singers up the front. And it doesn't mean it's bad. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm all for singing. I'm all for it, like, sounding good. But it can be purely performance-based, like purely performance-based. And that's where I think you need – I know that you need the spirit part because you can walk into a church where the people up at the front uh, are singing an amazing song mm. and, and the rest of people are either sitting or standing – and they're just standing there kind of mute. Now, I know at the moment with COVID-19, you're supposed to... Yeah, hard. let's change things though, like, yeah. But, but if you go back to the normal kind of situation, you know, literally, as you say, Minnie, uh, you can have a, a worship team up the front who is singing it. It might be quite a good song, yeah. but nobody else is, is singing it. And for me, I would say that it is better for the the congregation to be worshiping in spirit in terms of music, in terms mm. of they really are living yes. this worship experience. They they're getting into it. So you know, it could be a hymn. You know, great is thy faithfulness, mm. uh, blessed assurance. But you know, if they're singing in spirit, you know, this has more <clears throat> relevance, more significance to God because they're connecting with Him. Mm. rather than just a performance where you're just watching and you're consuming. Yeah. Or even, I was going to say, even with congregational, and this is just like a personal experience of mine. I remember I um, it was a few years ago and I was I was very, oh, what, what would I say? I probably spiritually like just bankrupt. You know, there was just kind mm. of nothing. But, but, and it took me a long time to realize because I could come to church on the, you know, I wasn't regularly going anywhere. But I could still give the answers. You know, people were like, oh, what do we think about this? And da, 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 you can talk. And I was like, hold on. This is no me and Jesus. I just have answers that I can tell you about. You Information. Know? Yeah. And mm. I remember there was this one week and I was just like, I realized this. I started to go, oh, self, there's an, this is not a real thing going on. And, that, yeah, there was a hymn. Oh, what's it called? Sweet, Sweet Spirit. And mm. some of the words are, you know, there are sweet expressions on each face and I know that it's the Spirit of the Lord. And I literally was looking around at me going, we look dead. Like no one looks like they want to be singing it. And it doesn't mean you have to be faking it. But I was like, are we singing just to sing as well? Like as a congregation, you know, 
And I think that, yeah, that was just something that was significant for me. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. But yeah, so this is our last section of the Encounter with God, and we are talking about um, worship and worshipping in spirit and truth. Um, I, I really liked um, this concept of, of worshipping in spirit because I did a bit of a search of the Bible. Nice. Um, just to kind of understand what this, this kind of um, idea of in spirit might mean. And I, uh, it, it mentioned in Luke that John the Baptist, it says this, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. Hmm. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And yeah, it was just this idea that, you know, John the Baptist was really, there was something spiritually strong. He was strong in spirit. You know, in, in the culture in which we live, which is based on the sort of Greek concepts of, of society with our gymnasiums and Olympics and things mm. like that, there's this concept of physical strength, you know, being physically buff, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, physically beautiful. But what you find here is that John the Baptist was strong in spirit. There was, there was a spiritual strength um, in him. And not only this, it also uh, talked about in, in other places um, as well. It, uh, it talked about Apollos in, in the book of Acts, so also written by, by Luke. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. So once again, there's this strength of, of spirit, which was really, really amazing. And then in Romans, Paul advises us, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Hmm. Um, serve the Lord. And so I see this kind of, this intensity of spiritual life, yeah. um, which is really just incredible. It's really rich and living, you know, not just yes. stagnant and, oh yeah, it is what it is. Yes. Yeah. And I think that, that you know, when you come back to that idea of worshipping God in spirit, it has that that intensity, that further, that, that incredible sort of life. And, and I believe that, you know, you can walk into churches or church plants, as we were, uh, we, we might refer to as well, and and you can feel that that intensity of that this group is on fire for God. Mm. There, there's a strength to their their worship life, which just is really attractive. Um, and, and for me personally, many, I I find you know you might have a huge church, you might have a cathedral, mm-hmm. you might have a you know a mega church. You know, but if when you walk in, there's this kind of deadness, there's this kind of apathy, complacency that they they're not strong in spirit, they're not worshiping in the in the spirit, in spirit. It, it, it kind of doesn't attract you. It doesn't draw you in fully. And that that's what God is saying. I want you to be to worship in spirit. And I think in in this story with Jesus talking to this woman, what I love is it's spirit and truth. Because mm. as you said, yeah, I've I've been to places where you, yeah, it's that it is, it's that fight in their belly. Like mm. we want to know Jesus, we want to share Jesus, um, want to come back. Yes, and it's so attractive. And then, but with if we have just spirit or just truth, um, both of them are really really good things, right? Yes, man, we want that fire in our belly. We also want the true picture of God, in the sense that if you can, or if I can, you know, we'll keep it personal. If I'm like going to sincerely have like this spirit of God and, and that. You know, let's let's know Jesus and share Jesus and and that be sincere. Um, couple that with the truth of who God is. 
man, what a what a picture to share the world because I think some, how do I say? sometimes if I only have um, excitement about something, right, I can run away with ideas. Like somebody's like, this is a great idea. I'm like, whoa, great idea. Okay, awesome. Now, maybe it's not a bad idea, but is it the best idea? Well, unless I have some parameters for what makes it a good idea, you can kind of go away with anything, right? Mm. Um, doesn't mean the enthusiasm is bad or the passion is bad, uh, but it can be if there isn't a, but this is what makes it wholesome and this is what makes it a good idea consistently. Um, same as with the truth. The truth doesn't have to be dead, but it can be if it's not infused with that spirit, right? Do, do you yes. understand what I'm saying? Like yes. Both is amazingly important. There's um, one of the churches in the New Testament talks about is when Paul goes and talks to them, it says that they daily um, were searching the scriptures. So he would bring them the news of, man, Jesus, Messiah, all these amazing things, and they were like, whoa, okay, yes, but hold on. We still need to double-check it ourselves. Mm. And that's what I love about like what we're doing on the radio is we're going, hey, let's just get into the Word of God. Well, it reminds me of a, a, a couple of verses in John. So Jesus is praying uh, a prayer at the end of his ministry. So we, we, we looked at uh, Jesus with the Samaritan woman mm. early in the book of John, and we go to John chapter 17. And Jesus is praying mm. for us. Yes. And he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. Hmm. And, and this kind of reveals to us why truth is so important. Exactly what you're saying. So we need to worship God in spirit, have that fervency, have that spiritual life, but also the truth as well. And, and the reason is what he's saying here is that you can only grow spiritually in your understanding with God if you know the truth. Yeah. And very closely coupled with this idea is the the concept of what we call idolatry. Mm. So idolatry is uh, painting a a wrong or a false picture of God and then worshipping it. Ooh, yep. Believing that that is the real true. God and, and not worshipping the true God, yeah. the true understanding of God. And this is this is what happens when when we when we worship a false image of God, um, and the Book of Isaiah has all of these really funny stories about these people um, involved in idolatry. You know, it talks about this guy who takes a log, uh, cuts half of it, and um, and uh, builds a fire and, and eats, and then the other half he he makes into an idol. It's just this really humorous sort of satire. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is this is that when we, when we worship a false understanding of God, when we, when we um, just project what we believe is true about God, then our own growth is kind of stunted. Yeah. We cannot be sanctified. We cannot grow into the full understanding of, of God. And so this is so important that we worship God in both spirit and in truth. And this is what Jesus was teaching, educating the woman at the, the well in Samaria. Absolutely. And I think as as you kind of mentioned is um, with the woman at the well who when she says, hey, go call your, call your husband, there's also this element of, hey, share this with other people. Mm. And I know there's been so many friends that I've had just over the years and um, – one of their big arguments for like, man, I don't, I don't want to know about that Jesus. And and for me, I'm like, but you don't see the truth of who he is. And this yes. is that point, right? It's just like, if we're going to share, we have to share in both. You spirit know? and in truth. Both spirit and truth. Yes. Yeah. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. 
positively different. It is time for... Question of the Day. Okay, so I'm actually going to ask the question today and I'm going to pass off to Sven because um, you're not always here. So how does being sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption, which is found in Ephesians 4 verse 30, tie in with the seal of God in the book of Revelation? This is a really fascinating um, question, Minnie, and it's one I've been actually thinking about because a couple of weeks ago, I dived into this topic with a group of of teens down in Sydney via Zoom. So if we go to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, and um, I'm going to pick it up a little bit earlier in the, in the, um, the letter that Paul wrote there. And it says, In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So what, what Paul is saying here is, uh, you have received salvation, uh, but God is going to seal you. He's going to... Um, secure you, shall I say, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the sealing of the Holy Spirit, um, because in the future we're actually going to receive uh, that that inheritance. Now, if we go to to Revelation, uh, what we find in in Revelation uh, verse uh, chapter seven, I should say, uh, we we can read about the sealing uh, there. And uh, we start in verse 1. After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice um, to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So, um, this is the question. If you go back to Ephesians, what would be the things which may um, make your salvation in, um, um, insecure, shall I say? One thing could be our own sinfulness, mm. which is, is really might, might challenge us. But there's another thing. And Revelation, we see this incredible battle between good and evil. We see demonic forces fighting effectively against angelic forces. So what God does is he seals us to protect us. He seals us to to wrap us and to protect us going through the time of trouble all the way through to the end. Now, when you when you seal something, when you um, when you want to protect it, you also want to identify that this belongs to you, mm-hmm. that, that this is yours. So think of a package that you're 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 wrapping up, and you'll also put your name and your signature on it. So in this process, when God seals us with the Holy Spirit, he also identifies us as his own. Now, what is the sign? What is the signature that God uses to seal us? The Holy Spirit actually empowers us to be able to keep and obey his commandments. And in particular, there is there is one commandment, um, which is the fourth commandment. And, and that um, is about the Sabbath. The seventh day Sabbath. And in the Old Testament, in Exodus and also Ezekiel, God says, um, teach my uh, people 
to keep, to remember the Sabbath, to keep the Sabbath, because this is a sign that I make you holy. So you have not only the sealing of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit empowers you to have the sign, um, which is the Sabbath. And so that's the connection between the two. It's about God um, giving us the assurance, but also the protection for salvation all the way through to the end, uh, through the, the dangerous and dark times, all the evil forces, and God wants to keep us safe so we can be secure in our inheritance and our salvation. Mm. So it's pretty much all about salvation by grace, really, is are we willing to live by the grace of God? Yes, and that's the amazing thing, that God seals us with himself. That is incredible, with his Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.